Good afternoon. This is Jeff Smelser, and this is Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition, and we're coming to you through a new medium. Normally, we use the Zoom app, uh, but starting today, we're going to be using a new medium, and you're watching it, and you can just watch us here on YouTube. Um, and Drew DeGrotto is still the mastermind behind the scenes, and he knows what's going on with the technical stuff, so I'm just going to leave it to him. Chase Byers is with me today. Good afternoon, Chase. Afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, we're uh, excited about this new medium we're using. Um, but we did want to say you can still leave us comments. Drew is monitoring that on the YouTube page. And so you just think, like on Facebook. really it, monitoring? Do you, do you really think he, or did he just go out and get a cup of coffee or something? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out whenever we see him afterwards. But why don't you all send uh, you can Yeah, you can leave text. comments there. Oh, he's oh, there. there he is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we're missing Joe today. Joe Works is not able to be with us, but Lord willing, he'll be back with us next week. You are in Fishers, Indiana. We mentioned that last week, I think, but you know, if somebody didn't tune in last week, they're used to you coming to us from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I know it doesn't make a huge difference to our viewers, but it's a fact. You are now in Fishers, Indiana, right? Yes, sir. That's right. So uh, we started uh, working with the Fishers Church of Christ up here on January 1st. And so it's been going really well. And so uh, if you're in this Indianapolis area and have any interest in more personal Bible study or anything like that, I'm definitely up for that. You can reach me at cdbuyers33 at yahoo.com. Today, we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. We Last week, we introduced the story of Philip meeting the eunuch from Ethiopia. And we're going to go back to Acts chapter 8, and verse 26, and start right there. Uh, Chase, are we ready just to jump into it? Yeah, i just say one thing. I feel like we've been all three trying to focus on in the book of Acts that's going to continue is at what point is Satan going to win? I mean, it looks like at every angle he's trying to attack the church or take away opportunities for the gospel to be spread. But at every turn, the gospel is able to prevail. And so now in this story we're about to read, you know, here's this guy out there on a desert road. How in the world is he going to learn the gospel? Well, the Lord finds a way to do it. And, and so think, uh, just, I think that's been something we've been emphasizing. And you think back to the beginning when Jesus said uh, to the apostles, you'll be my witnesses uh, in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we see the persecution arising at the beginning of Acts chapter eight. And you see the disciples spreading out and we read about Philip in Samaria now he's going to talk to a man who's going to take the gospel to Africa. Uh, Chase, before we get into the story, do you want to say something about what our viewers, uh, how they can help us out and how they can be sure and get alerts to our webcasts? Yeah, so we love just going through the book of Acts like this, but this is Bible Quest, and so we love to answer Bible questions. And so if you have any kind of Bible question or anything you want discussed live on air, you can feel free to send us uh, an inquiry or a question through BibleQuest.org. So just go to that website and you will see a, uh, a question um, button that you can press on your phone or on your laptop and go through there and uh, leave the question there. And you can also subscribe on our YouTube page as well as BibleQuest.org. And so those would be some of the best ways to reach us and uh, if you have any questions for the, for the show. Okay, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So Philip has been in Samaria. And in fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to prove that in this new venue, we can still share a screen. And I'm going to share this screen right here. Can you see this map, Chase? It's coming up, I guess. I can. Can you already see yep. it? Wow. Okay, great. Yep. Um, so right in this region is Samaria, right here in the middle. And that's where Philip has okay. been. 
Uh, but there's this road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And so mm-hmm. that's that's the road where this eunuch is traveling that we're going to be reading about. But he's from Ethiopia. And so if we zoom way out here, and that's what we were looking at, that area right there. But Ethiopia would be way down here somewhere. So he's come, as we're going to find out, this man has traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem a travel a distance of some seven to nine hundred miles, depending on where in Ethiopia he came from. And now he's on his way back home, but he has not gotten very far. He's just on this road that's on the way to Gaza before he heads south. So let's let's pick it up in verse 26. And, and uh, I know we read the first couple of verses of this last week, but Chase, how about uh, reading verses 26 through um t- go all the way through 31, 26 through 31. Yeah, sounds good. So it says that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. How far did you say? 31. Okay, perfect. So you did it. Okay. Um, we talked about some of this last week, but let's just review real quickly here. Um, he, we talked about where Ethiopia is. It's a long way away. Um, so what's an Ethiopian doing coming to Jerusalem to worship? Apparently he has some kind of, or some kind of want in his life to draw closer to God. I mean, Jerusalem was quite the site. I mean, Jews from all over would come for the different feast days. And even if there wasn't a feast day, they would come to Jerusalem to go to the temple. But one of the things we pointed out last week is that this eunuch, once he got to the temple, is it Deuteronomy 24? Um, 23. Or is it? 23, sorry, Deuteronomy yeah. 23, verse 1, uh, says that eunuchs actually aren't even able to come into the temple. And yeah. so he would have gone all that way and not been able to go in. Yeah, that's that. And we'll come back to that thought in a few minutes. But, you know, Chase, um, there were temples in, in Egypt of various sorts. There were various deities that were worshipped by various people all between where Ethiopia was in Jerusalem. He comes all the way to Jerusalem. And you mentioned Jews worshiped in Jerusalem and they worshiped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They worshiped the God who created everything. I think one of the things that's very clear is this man who is described as a eunuch was impressed with the God of Israel. Uh, He could have worshiped any deity along the way in in Ethiopia. They would have had deities that he might've worshiped, but he comes to Jerusalem where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is worshiped. Um, that seems to say one of two things. Either he was a transplanted Jew who had risen to a prominent position in the Old Testament. Joseph ended up in a prominent position in Egypt. Daniel ended up in a prominent position in Babylon and then Persia. Or he truly is not a Jew, but he is one who nonetheless, like Rahab in the Old Testament, had become impressed with the God of Israel. I'm inclined to think it's the latter. I'm inclined to think he probably was not a Jew, and that speaks all the more highly of him, that he would come this far to Jerusalem to worship. What's a eunuch? Eunuch is a castrated male, uh, so somebody who wouldn't have had their genitalia um, due to a, a 
castration of some kind. Probably, in his case, because he is serving in the queen's court, uh, it was a way to kind of protect her, and that was very common in that day and age. So Yeah, there's, a, there's an ancient Greek writer named um, Xenophon who describes Cyrus as preferring eunuchs to serve in his court because they would be loyal to him. And the idea is developed, um, the explanation is that they were people, they were men who might otherwise be ostracized in society, but when they are taken and given this great responsibility to the king, why that that they owe him everything now and so they're going to be especially loyal to him and they're not going to have divided loyalties from romantic interests that kind of thing and so so that's why cyrus preferred eunuchs and it does seem it was not an uncommon thing in ancient especially in the ancient east for rulers to have eunuchs in positions in their court uh the word candace uh we have women who are named candace i assume after this lady um, but it's actually a title, maybe pronounced Kandake or something like that. It's actually a title indicating okay. her, her position in Ethiopia. And uh, so this is a prominent fellow who's over the treasury, and he is now on his way home. And Philip catches up to him, and as you read to us a moment, heard him reading. You know, Chase, if you're mm -hmm. reading to yourself, you don't typically read out loud, do you, or do you? No, typically no. No, and most of us in modern society, when we're reading to ourselves, we read silently. But in ancient times, it was typical to read out loud, even if you're reading to yourself. And so he hears this fellow reading, and Luke's going to tell us what he's reading. It's from Isaiah 53. Uh, and, and Philip just asks him the question, do you understand what you're reading? And the, the eunuch's response is interesting. How can I accept someone guide me? If and, and to our listeners, just think about this. If you had never heard of Jesus, if you had no New Testament, all you had were the Old Testament scriptures, and you opened up some prophetic passage, some passage from the Old Testament prophets, maybe Isaiah 53, would it be an enigma to you? And I think for most of us, it would be. Um, and so he needs an explanation. He, he He's insightful enough to say in verse 34, uh, of whom speaks the prophet this, of himself or of some other? That's an interesting question. But let's find out what it was he was reading. Luke tells us what he was reading, doesn't he? He does, yeah. So picking up in verse 32, it says, Now the scripture passage he was reading was this, uh, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In, hu in his humiliation, justice was denied him, who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Um, and sorry, in verse 30, he tells us that that is from the scroll Isaiah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's kind of interesting that he had a copy of Isaiah. Just think about that. Yeah. A man from cool? Ethiopia who has a copy of Isaiah in his chariot, you know, what is it? Is it safe to think that he probably bought that while he was in Jerusalem? Would, would that have been something that he could have done? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's something he could have done, it, uh, and that's an interesting question. Was it his that he brought with him, and he's reading it on the way home, or did he acquire it while he was in Jerusalem? And, you know, I don't know that we know the answer to that, but it's an interesting thought. Um, and so he's reading it, but he doesn't understand who it's talking about. And so, Chase, what do you think? You want to spend a few minutes looking at Isaiah 53? Because what it's going to say yeah, is... I in verse 35, it's going to say, Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture from Isaiah 53, preached unto him Jesus. I'm going to ask you honestly, Chase, how often have you sat down with somebody who does not really know anything about Jesus and you started in the book of Isaiah? Never. I mean, maybe maybe one time 
if there was a skeptic and I felt like I had one shot. And so, I, but I, I can hardly think of a time where I started in, in Isaiah 53. Where would you usually start? Um, I know where you depending would on their background. I'm guessing you'd usually start in Mark. Yeah, that's right. I normally do start <laughs> with talking about who Jesus is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But you know what we do do? I get, I'm, I'm guessing you're like this. I'm like this. If you get into a conversation with somebody and they are in some part of the Bible that they're interested in, my tendency is wherever they are in the Bible, that's where I start. Yes. And yeah, that's the other thing is although my tendency is to start in the gospel of Mark with people, I don't say we're starting in the gospel of Mark and that's the end of it. I'll normally say, well, are there any questions that you have? Or are there any books of the Bible that you've been reading that you have yeah. some questions about? And so you start where people are at normally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, there have been times when I've started in some unusual places because that's what the person was reading. And the fact is, you know, all of the Old Testament scriptures are about Jesus. Uh, in Luke 24, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them and interprets all the scriptures, beginning with the, the Moses and, and through the prophets. He talks about how they were speaking about himself. And so mm -hmm. it's not hard to do. But let's go back to Isaiah 53 and let's take a few minutes sure. to see what we what, what if Philip is going to preach Jesus from this passage from Isaiah 53. What kinds of things could he have explained to the eunuch about Jesus? Mm -hmm. uh, so let's go back there, Isaiah 53. And, you know, I don't know where you want to start or what you want to focus on. We can go through it in order or we can jump around in it. Um, but let's just take turns pointing out some things here in Isaiah 53. That sounds good. Yeah, let's just go ahead and read the first three verses and take okay. it from there. All right. Who is Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew that sick, uh, what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Uh, Jeff, it might be good. Why don't you set up the context for us? Because for me, it, every time I come to Isaiah 53 and start reading a verse one, I'm like, well, who is he talking? Like, wh where, where are we at in the book that it would make yeah. sense to start yeah. saying things like yeah. this? And, and I'm not going to go way far back, but I do think it's good to at least go back to chapter 52 and verse 13. That'll give us enough to get us going. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. What you get out of those three verses, the last three verses of chapter 52, is that God's servant is coming. And God compares this coming servant with his servant Israel. And um, there's some comparisons and some contrasts. And, and really, mm -hmm. that's kind of a theme in this whole section of, of the book of Isaiah. Kind of Israel, the failed servant of God, but the, the perfect servant of God that's coming. And, and so then we get into what you just read in chapter 53. And this one who is the coming servant of God um, is not somebody who is in his own right physically going to be particularly attractive. 
Uh, I don't know that this is saying Jesus was an ugly person, but he's not going to be say he's not going to be the kind of person, whether in terms of physical appearance or in charisma or in station in life, who people are just drawn to and say, "This is a great man. This is somebody that looks this like is, our next king." Right. That yes, exactly. This person should be our next leader. This person should be our next king. You remember that's what the people focused on in First Samuel, and that's why Saul became the next king. But I think this text is saying, Jesus, it's not about his looks. He's just a normal person. Yeah. He's a normal yeah. Jewish person. We ought, to, we, we ought to notice that Isaiah is written about 700 years before Jesus is born. It's Thank written you. at a time yes. when the northern kingdom is going into captivity. The southern kingdom is going to go into captivity within about 100 years. Um, and so on the immediate horizon, there's kind of a dismal outlook for the nation. But God has a plan. And just to further that, we have a copy of Isaiah that predates when Jesus was historically on the earth. Sure so do. from the Dead Sea Scrolls, yeah. uh, what year would those have been? I can't even remember. You know, they range, they range in dates from a couple hundred years before Jesus to up to the destruction of Jerusalem, AD 70. But the great Isaiah scroll among the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, I was just looking at this recently. They date it in two ways. They date it radiocarbon dating and they date it um, paleographically. Radiocarbon dating gives a date, if I remember right, from around 350 BC, 350 years before Christ, okay. to around 100 BC. It's a range. It's a range. So from 350 yeah. BC to 100 BC. Paleographically, meaning they look at the style of the writing in the manuscript and compare it to other things at various times that were written and try to date it that way. And they get a date from around 150 BC up to closer to the birth of Jesus. So if you take the overlap of those two, uh, it looks like the great Isaiah scroll was probably written perhaps between 150 and 100 BC. So that many years, 100 to 150 years before Jesus was born, we have a document today that was written at that time. Right. It contains Isaiah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So although this document was technically written 700 years before Jesus came, we have a document we can look at. We have a copy of it. It was made. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. we don't have it. You don't have it. I don't have it. But it's <laughs> it's over yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's jump on into the text here in verse 4. Uh, it says things like, Surely our griefs he himself bore. Um, that mm -hmm. actually is a passage that's quoted in Matthew 8 when Jesus is healing mm -hmm. the sicknesses of the people who are grieving with sicknesses. But Chase, you know that when Jesus did miracles where he healed people of such things as blindness and lameness and deafness, those things had a spiritual meaning. Not only can I, can I remove your physical blindness, not only can I give you physical sight, I can give you spiritual sight. Not only can yeah, I same with leprosy. Yeah. Leprosy is a good example. Um, and, and then it goes on. It says in verse 5 and 6, I'll just get these two verses. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Not every translation translates it exactly that way. The New American Standard, in using the word pierced, really brings to our minds Jesus being pierced on the cross. But in general, in this chapter, there's this idea he suffered because of what we did wrong. Uh, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. The scourging is when they would take that multi-strand whip with weights in the end, and they would just give the guy a lashing and rip the, the flesh off his back. 
And how ironic that you can do that to one person and it results in another person being healed. And, and what you see throughout this chapter is the idea we've sinned, we deserve punishment, but Jesus, this servant who's coming, is going to step in and take the punishment we deserve. And thus, God can be righteous and say, your sins have been punished. I have dealt with your sins if you are part of Jesus' death. Yeah. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Second Corinthians 5. Good. Verse um, so, 6. Go ahead. Yeah. Verse 6 is one of my favorites of the whole, whole scroll here. Uh, verse 6 says, we all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. You don't get clearer language than that, do you? No, and Peter Peter jumps on that language in First Peter 2. Uh, he'll say yes, in verse 25, you were going astray like sheep. But in that whole context, he is borrowing the language and the imagery from Isaiah 53. And he will very explicitly mm -hmm. say uh, in verse uh, 24, who his own self, talking about Jesus, bear our sins in his body upon the tree. Uh, so when Jesus hangs on the cross upon the tree uh, and he is suffering, he is suffering because of the sins we've done. He is taking the punishment that we deserve. And it's going to develop that further here in Isaiah 53. Okay. Verse seven, he so says in verse seven. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. He was he, oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. We have sheep, Chase. You know that. Um, and probably many of our viewers who've listened for a long time know that. Um, and uh, it's been amazing to me when they are sheared, how they just go limp and they do not make a sound. They, they don't protest, really? they don't fight. You just jerk them up and start shearing and they just go. And I always tell the story. The first time I saw one of our sheep being sheared, um, the fellow who was doing the work, he'd done a couple of the ewes and he grabbed this one little ram, the male, and he, start shearing that thing and he just went and rams can be very very um vicious really we had to get rid of one because he was going to take us out but when he went to shear a ram that ram made not a sound until one time the shear accidentally nicked him and that ram went eh, and that was it that was the only sound he made and and this passage then becomes so much more vivid for me because we turn over to the book of mark for example in mark chapter 14 and Jesus is before his accusers. Uh, he's being tried. And, and while there were times when Jesus spoke up during his trial, he never spoke up in protest saying, this is not fair. You've got to let me go. I don't deserve this. He came to do this. And in Mark chapter 14, uh, they're, they're challenging him. They've got witnesses testifying against him, false witnesses. And they say in verse um See, verse 60, I thought I could turn right to it. Um, oh, verse, six, verse 61. Yeah. And he, they said, do you answer nothing? What is, what is it which these witness against you? And it says he held his peace and answered nothing. And so, so you have this imagery of the sheep who is silent before his shearers. Um, 
this there's something else I want to mention here. Remember that Philip is talking to the eunuch about Jesus from this passage. And if that eunuch knew nothing about Jesus, from this passage, Philip can say he was pierced. They they nailed him to our cross, and they and it was because of what we've done wrong. From this passage, he could say, by his scourging, we are healed. They took a whip and they lashed him. And Pilate did. That's recorded in Matthew 27, if I remember right. Am I thinking the right chapter? Um and, and then he could say uh, he was silent, didn't protest. And they could say, and when he was dead, a rich man took him and put him in his tomb. Who was that? Uh, that, that was, uh, uh, goodness, Joseph of Arimathea, as well as Nicodemus. I was, leave, leave I was you. looking something up at the same time. I was going to leave you hanging, see if you could come up with it. Okay. No, no, yeah, Joseph of Arimathea. So, so what I, my point is, there's some profound concepts in this passage, such as Jesus suffering the punishment of our sins, but there's also just the facts of the story that that mm -hmm. the unit can learn as, as Philip goes through here and says, here's what this passage is talking about. You want to pick it up there? Yeah. And yeah. So, and just to be specific um, in Acts eight, we're looking at verses six and seven from that, right? And part of eight. And part of it. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. Verse. Um, did we talk about? Yeah, we did. All right. Verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. So you have that language numbered with the transgressors in verse 12, and, and we might think about hanging mm -hmm. between two thieves on the cross. We might think about being crucified. It wasn't Roman citizens that were crucified. It was people who weren't thought well of. And and, and yet, in reality, Jesus is numbered with the transgressors just in coming to be a human being and living on this earth, uh, really. Yeah. Uh, but you go back, and there's a phrase yeah. that we didn't talk a lot about at the end of verse 8, uh, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Again, there's that idea, we deserve the punishment, but Jesus took it. Um, you were going to say something. Yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean, the, the language in verse 10, I think, is actually kind of hard for me to even read. When you know that it's Jesus, the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Uh, and just kind of that it evokes a lot of emotions in me as I think about the father, you know, having his own hand in that. But of course, I think the application of that on the side of, of the new covenant is Jesus saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves us so much. He was willing to give his son. Uh, and it, it pleased him to see his son die, knowing that the rest of the world would be saved in that you see the love of God. And so just pairing some of that language up with what you see in the New Testament, I think kind of helps me grasp uh, Isaiah 53 there. You know, where it says pleased in the New American Standard, um, the translations handle that a little differently. I don't believe it means God's, God's sitting in heaven, the Father's sitting in heaven going, oh boy, I'd, I'm going to love to see this. You know, one sure. translation says it was Lord's will to crush him. Another, the English Standard Version says, yes, yet, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
Um, the uh, uh, New King James says that the Lord desired to crush him. I'm not sure that's that's great. Um, the Christian Standard Bible uses the term pleased. Um, it, in the, the, the different translations go between pleased and willing. Willing probably gets the idea in our the way we speak, we, we talk about pleasure. We associate the idea of pleasure with being pleased. And I don't think that's really the idea, but God was willing to let Jesus suffer. Um, and in verse 11, where it says, as a result of the anguish of his soul, I take that to be Jesus suffering on the cross. He mm -hmm. will see it be satisfied, which I would take to be uh, the father. But there's that idea of satisfaction. And that's the key because God is so, not only merciful, but he's also just and justice requires punishing sin. And a just God cannot be satisfied to just let sin go and, and ignore it. So I'm just now reading. So I recently had switched to the Christian standard Bible and it's interesting. It says in verse 11, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. And so I don't know about you, but when I read it in the Christian Standard Bible, that actually makes me want to read it as if that's talking about Jesus seeing light and being satisfied. Hmm. Uh, possibly a reference to the resurrection is what I'm getting at, uh, at least in the way I read it to the Christian Standard Bible. So anyways, that's just a distinction I had not made or seen in the CSB versus the New American Standard. So we get we get to the end of Isaiah 53, and, and we see there's a lot that the that Philip could communicate to the eunuch, both in terms of just the story of the crucifixion and in the significance of the crucifixion. Uh, it's really it's really the idea that you see in Romans chapter three, where Jesus is a propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? Well, it goes on to explain God is able to be both just himself because he does punish our sin and yet he can justify us whom it would not be just for him to justify except that our sins have been punished in Christ if we maker Christ if we're in Christ and that's kind of the key here we have to become a part of Christ we have to become a part of Christ's death so that when he so that his de death on the cross counts for us and counts for our sins chase you remember back in Leviticus Chapter one, it talks about the worshiper in the Old Testament bringing uh, offering to the doorway, of the tent of meeting, and he's going to kill this offering. But he has to lay his hands on the head of the goat so mm -hmm. that it may be accepted on his behalf. It's not enough yep. for him to die. It, for it to be counted for this worshiper, he has to be connected with the goat. And, and then it goes on to say that it may make atonement for him. For yes. And that's the word we're talking about. Yeah. Atonement. Mm -hmm. and, and for Jesus' atonement to be for you or for me or for anybody else, we have to become connected with Jesus' death, just like that Old Testament worshiper had to be connected with that animal sacrifice. The way he became connected, he put his hands on the head of the goat. Leviticus 16, the idea was you're laying the sins on the head of the goat when you lay your hands on the head of the goat. For us, we become connected with Jesus' death. Paul says we're baptized into his death. Um, so sometimes people want to drive a wedge between, uh, baptism and faith. And they say, we're saved by faith. Baptism can't have anything to do with it. Well, what baptism is according to God's word 
is it's the point at which we become connected with the death of Jesus, which is what takes away our sins. If we want to put our trust in Jesus' death, we have to become a part of Jesus' death. Yep. So what does the eunuch say after Philip preaches Jesus to him from this passage? I love this. Yeah. So this is in Acts 8. Uh, we'll pick up here in verse 36. They went along the road and they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Yeah. yeah. So, so so apparently he got the point he needed to be connected with Jesus' death. And and it's interesting, Philip's response, of course, Chase, was just, just like so many people would expect. Well, you know, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. There's really, it's not the appropriate place or time for a baptismal ceremony. So let's, we'll just put you on the list for three months from now when we have a baptismal service and a lot of people will be coming to be baptized and, yeah. and we'll just or, do it then. Isn't that what the text says there? Yeah. Or, or of course, uh, I'll make my way down there to Ethiopia with you and we'll just, uh, we'll wait till we get more people. We need yeah. to get a following, uh, oh, make oh, a real oh, show of it. Don't believe us. That's not what the text says. That is not what the text, the text of course, says. Of course, the text says, verse 37, uh, if your Bible has verse 37, there's some textual variants there. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God. And Philip ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Sometimes people say, well, baptism is just for an outward testimony to the audience, to other people. What audience? They're out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. They're out in a desert place. He needs to be baptized. He wants to be baptized right here and now. And that's what happens. And then it says the spirit caught Philip away and uh, the eunuch saw him no more. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing, which brings us to the point you were making early on in the webcast. This eunuch has gone all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship some seven, eight, nine hundred miles in a chariot through Africa, and he gets to Jerusalem, and Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1 says, I'm going to turn back there, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, no one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. He can't fully participate when he gets there. He can stand off at a distance and watch, and that's as, as good as he can do. And so that's all he gets. And he turns around and he's on his way home. And the then Philip comes to him. He's reading Isaiah 53. And I always say, I just cannot help but imagine that Philip said to him, unroll that scroll just a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Look at Isaiah 56. So let's turn to Isaiah 56. I was wondering if you were going to go there. Well, let's go there. <laughs> Verse 3, let not the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. I think we have a foreigner here, a eunuch. And in the Old Testament times, there was a stark division, dividing line between the fleshly Jews and the foreigners. But in Isaiah, it's already anticipated the time when God said, no, the foreigners don't need to feel like they're going to be left out. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. Dry tree produces no fruit. That's the what, what a eunuch is. He's a man who's not going to have any fruit. But God says, no, no, don't think like that. Because, verse 4, thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. 
to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. The, the part about in my house, he couldn't go into the physical temple, into the Old Testament house. He's off at a distance. But on his way home to Ethiopia, he finds out he can be not only in God's house, but but what we l- learn in Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter chapter 2, he can actually become God's house. Mm-hmm. And so you can see yep. he would go on his way rejoicing. Yep. All right, that's a common response in the book of Acts, isn't it? I mean, over and over again in the book of Acts, when people obey the gospel, they're rejoicing. And I mean, you saw that earlier in Acts, the eighth chapter as well. Whenever Philip was in Samaria, people were rejoicing um, at the great news. Uh, Acts eight, verse eight. There was much rejoicing in that city. Yeah, you know, I and one one other thing. Sorry, one other thing I want to say about about this, and it'll connect with what we talked about last week. Jeff, do you remember last week you and Joe were talking about how the signs that Philip was doing, so let me just look here, Acts 8, verse uh, 6, the crowds were, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. And we talked a lot about that last week, how the the miracles were confirming the message that Philip had. And Mm -hmm. as a result of that, many people were obeying the gospel and being baptized. Well, what's really fascinating, when you get to the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip has the same spirit, he has the same gifts. Why doesn't he look at the eunuch and say, put that scroll down and instead let me just show you some miracles and then you can believe? Well, of course, we understand why. He he had something perhaps even greater. He had the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's where the uh, Philip decided to start with him. He didn't use the miracles. And I'm not trying to say the miracles weren't useful because they obviously were. They were using them in Samaria. But he saw something important in the scroll of Isaiah to begin there uh, Mm -hmm. to convince this man. And that's a blessing for me to see because I still have the scroll of Isaiah 53 that I can take people to and show them. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Philip, he used what God had given him to help convince people of Jesus. And, um, you know, you and I were talking before the webcast and you were talking about this whole section as a as a um, good tutorial on how to be an evangelist on on evangelizing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. Do you want to say a word or two about that? I can. Yeah, as as I was working through the text in preparation for the class I'm going to be teaching here, it just stood out to me at every turn in chapter eight, even outside of Philip himself. But in chapter eight and verse four, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. I mean, it didn't matter where they were. They were out preaching the word. They were putting an emphasis on the word of the Lord. Um And then also just remembering in verse eight, as we've already emphasized with the eunuch as well, that there's a lot of joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good news. Mm -hmm. It's a joyful message that we should be excited to share with other people. And you see that in the way people are reacting to it. I, I think sometimes in our approach to talking to others about the gospel, we're tempted to, oh, well, you you wouldn't want to study the Bible with me, would you? And there's no joy or or enthusiasm or excitement. When the people who are responding to it are joyful, you should be joyful to then take it to them. Yeah. And then, of course, um, Philip, just no matter where he is, or Peter and John, uh, I like to point out in, um, in verse... Uh, 
yeah, sorry, in verse 24, Simon is, uh, the sorcerer is baptized, and Philip is up there working with all these saints in Samaria. But then in verse 25, uh, uh, John and, and um, Peter, they leave. They're teaching in all these villages of the Samaritans on their way out. And then Philip is taken to talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. My point is, is you go where the Lord opens the doors at. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need to get out of this mindset we sometimes are in of territorial preaching and teaching. Uh, you know, I'm only going to reach the lost in this area. No, go, go to where God opens the doors at. That's where yeah. they were going in the New Testament. And some people, uh, we talked about this before, if somebody is in a particular text in the Bible and that they're interested in, start there with them. Some people feel that they have to have a, a program, a, a set, I got to have these five passages and make this point. You know, if that's all you can do, do that. But it's so useful if we'll learn our Bibles so that we know God's word. We're in a position that whatever somebody's reading in the Bible that they're interested in, we can start right there with them, like Philip did. So that puts a little bit of responsibility yes. on us to really learn God's word. So Yes, thank you for saying that. I mean, how, and I know Philip had the spirit with him, but how embarrassing would it have been if he <laughs> yeah. got up there to that chariot and he sees Isaiah and he's like, huh? Oh, you got Isaiah? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that is, you know, or, oh, who is that? You know, that would have been embarrassing for him. But instead, of course, he, he knew what that scripture said and he knew what that scripture was talking about. And I believe whenever later, we're going to get to it later in some of uh, Paul's preaching trips and looking at how he preaches. But when it says Paul was reasoning from the scriptures daily, I think these are the kind of passages Paul was starting with, right? Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, yeah. so, some of those passages that even Christians today may not know. Uh, we, we need to sharpen those skills and be ready. In Acts 17, when he's in Thessalonica, he's going to reason from the scriptures. It's the Old Testament scriptures that he's reasoning, and he's going to reason that it behooved the Christ to suffer and be raised again on the third day. Speaking of Paul, at the point where we are in the book of Acts, having just completed Acts chapter 8, Paul is not yet known as Paul, and he is not yet a believer. We last saw him, Saul is how he's named at this point in the book of Acts, we last saw him persecuting the church and causing the Christians, the disciples who were in Jerusalem to be scattered. To, to, that's why Philip had gone to Samaria, because of the persecution that arose under the leadership of Saul. Um, and so now we're going to come to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to pick it up there next week. And I'm just going to read uh, the first verse of Acts chapter 9. Saul yet breathing, threatening, and slaughter. So Luke, who's writing this, reminds us, you know, I was telling you back at the beginning of this chapter about the persecution Saul was leading. Well, he was still breathing, threatening, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And uh, so then we're going to go into the story of, of Saul and how he ends up becoming a believer. And then, of course, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We'll do that next week. But we are supposed to, we're under strict orders, Chase, uh, you and I, today under strict orders given by Drew DeGrotto to once again ask people to, what is it, like and subscribe? Well, yeah. So you can you can like our YouTube page and you could subscribe to it. But we're specifically wanting to pe people to go through the BibleQuest.org uh, page to try and do that. And so you can submit questions and you can get emails and updates and that kind of thing. And so go to BibleQuest.org and 
uh, fill out the various forms that are there. But yeah, that's fine. Subscribe, subscribe and like uh, kind of gets it too. Because we also, the YouTube uh, the YouTube sure, yeah, but also we have people listening to us on podcast as well. Drew okay. DeGrado, he takes the time to put this through on podcast where people, they can't see us, but they're listening to us through different formats. So um, we want to encourage them to to like and share and that kind of thing as well. Here he is. Oh, there he went. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> now, now, we do want people to subscribe on the YouTube page as well. It helps with us getting the message out and the ratings up. Excuse me. That's why I recommend we get people to ask people to subscribe. If they like it. If they don't like it, that's a different story. Oh, okay. All right. Good. All right. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Lord willing, Joe will be back with us next week. And we will see you then.